Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. In this week's podcast, we're traveling to the highlands of Nepal with anthropologist Jeff Childs. For 20 years, Childs has been conducting research in Nupri, a remote valley in the shadow of the eighth highest mountain in the world. He first became interested in this area as a PhD student in the 1990s. He was studying historical migrations into the valley. When conducting research, however, he noticed that one group of people, children, were starting to move out. When I first worked there in 1995 to 1997, I did a household survey, and I noticed that several households had children out of the village, but it was only boys, and it was mainly going to monasteries in Kathmandu. Fast forward 20 years, and instead of a child here and there leaving the valley, the majority of the children were gone. As time went on in the last three or four years when I've been doing household surveys again, I've noticed that the trend has just increased dramatically. Uh, nowadays, it's about 75% of boys and girls are being sent out of the valley. That's three out of every four kids from ages about five to 19. Try to picture if that many kids in your community were suddenly sent off to boarding school. So when you're talking about 75% of youths, you're talking about a major social transformation that's underway. So why the sudden outmigration of school-age kids? Part of the reason is that more opportunities are now available for religious education. Many of these children, especially boys, are being sent to monasteries. On the monastic side, there's a lot of foreign funding that has gone into building these monasteries, and with the expansion of monasticism, they need new recruits. Nupri still has high fertility, a lot of children being born, and so it's become a, a good recruiting ground for the monasteries and nunneries. On the non-religious side, Western interest in Tibetan society has led to education sponsorships. So for the most part, these schools aren't only available, they're free. As you might expect, this is appealing to parents. So parents are operating on this changing opportunity structure. You know, all you have to do is navigate some, uh, some routes to get to these schools and monasteries, and then your child will get a free education. Childs has interviewed many of these parents about why they choose to send their children away to school. Often, like parents anywhere, they just want their kids to have lives that are better than their own. They talk about it's better to have a pen in hand than a rope on your head. The rope on your head refers to they carry baskets on their back with a kind of a tope rope around their forehead. And so they envision education as a way for their children to have jobs, more like white collar jobs, rather than having to, as they put it, scratch the dirt for a living. So education is seen as an escape from a hard way of life. This is true for both girls and boys in the valley, but in some ways, it's especially true for girls. The marriage system there is, uh, is uh, patrilocal. That means that when a woman marries, she moves into her husband's household. So that means she's not only subordinate to her husband, but also to her in-laws, and it can be a very rough transition. And we had some mothers tell us, you know, coming here as a nama, that's a bride in their terminology, uh, it was really rough. I, I really don't want that for my daughter. And we had 
uh, father saying that as well. You know, I don't want to send my daughter to another household where she might not be treated terribly well. So they view this as a better option. So far, all this sounds pretty great. Parents want their kids to have an education, and free education has suddenly become available. But with 75% of the youth suddenly gone, what does this mean for life back in the valley? They're losing labor. The labor force, the household labor force, is severely depleted. The parents have to work harder. They don't have all the children around to help them. Uh, They have to work longer hours. It's really putting a strain on them. It's also hard on the children themselves in many ways. After leaving the valley, it's not easy to come back home. For the children, it changes their relationship with their villages, with their kin. Uh, A lot of them become completely disconnected from the village. Because classes are often taught in either English or in a Tibetan dialect different from the dialect spoken in the valley, there's even a language barrier as these students return. So a lot of these children go back to the village and they can't understand anything. They end up often talking to their parents in Nepali, the lingua franca of the country, because they don't understand the local dialect. A little bit ago, I asked you to imagine what it would be like if three-quarters of the children in your community were sent off to boarding school. Now imagine how strange it would be if these students came home and couldn't understand the day-to-day conversations of the people around them, even their own families. Then comes the question of what happens after the education is complete. Even if these kids want to return to the valley, despite the language and cultural barriers, there just aren't that many job options for educated people in Nupri. You can be a teacher, you can be a nurse, there's some health posts that are set up by some nonprofit organizations. There are a few jobs, but they're few and far between. And especially since all the kids are now being sent out of the valley, there's not going to be a lot of jobs for teachers if this trend continues. So, you know, that kind of provides disincentives. If there's no jobs, who's going to return? And on top of all that, some young people, especially young women, face a different, more personal potential problem with returning home. They look at the village as a place where they could get entrapped into a marriage they don't want because it's arranged marriages traditionally, and some parents have you know, asked their daughters to return on one pretense or another, and when the daughter got up there, they found that wedding preparations were in full bloom, and they didn't have a way out of it. Now, not all families choose to arrange marriages in this way. Many say it's their children's choice, especially once they're older and educated. But if these young people choose to not get married and stay in the valley, these families face a common problem. Who's going to take care of the parents in old age? This is an old age care system that is based on co-residents with adult children. So who's going to take care of them? Who's going to continue the household? Who's going to continue the village traditions? So it's it's very complicated. Uh, People are trying to navigate it. And there's it's a real threat to the continuity of these villages, because on the one hand, we're seeing a population decline. It's already started. Uh, And that's driven by not just the out-migration, but the fact that so many of the young people in their 20s who would be reproducing in the villages are no longer there and they're delaying marriage and so forth. Uh, So those two factors combined, the out-migration and the loss of the reproductive population is leading to pretty rapid population decline. So from here, one of the big questions becomes, 
how do parents navigate all this? They want their children to have an education, but at the same time, they want security in their old age and for their culture not to totally disappear. There are many possible responses. Some parents are choosing to get creative with their education options. There's a lot of innovation going on. Very often we look at rural people and we think that they're just reactive to events and they don't really understand the events unfolding. But this it's not true. These parents really have distinct strategies and they understand how to adapt to changing circumstances. And one thing that they've done, which is very new, it's when they send a son, there's a specific son that they want as their successor. So they're willing to send him to a monastery at age, say, six or seven, but they actually make an agreement with the abbot that when he turns a certain age, they get to reclaim him. And this is very novel. This is, uh, it's not supposed to happen. When you take your monastic vows, it's supposed to be for life. But there are some abbots who are adapting along with this and being flexible. As a result, Childs has found a new trend in households. Often, the new husband is a former monk. Meanwhile, many others in the first wave of these students to complete 10th or 12th grade are seeking employment abroad in the hope of sending money back home to help take care of their families. Childs has been spending time in this area for decades. He knows these people. Some of his best friends live there. And he thinks it's important that he shares what he's been learning with the residents themselves. So he does, often at village meetings. In these meetings, he's more than an anthropologist working on a book about demographics and migration. He's a friend, trying to help a group of people think through difficult questions about culture and change over time. So I'll talk about the research findings and I'll talk about this migration trend and I always make sure to let them know I'm not judging your decision of sending your children out of the valley. Those are your children. You make the judgments based on what you think is best for your family. However, uh, collectively, your communities need to think about what are going to be the long-term consequences of this. You know, so if there are no young people in the valley, what's going to happen? You have a society that has developed through different migration waves over the course of 800 years or longer. You have a very distinct and unique culture up here. Will you be able to maintain that? Do you want to maintain that? So I like to you know, share the research results with the people, not judge them, not say this is bad, this is good, because culture change happens all the time. There's no such thing as a static culture. Every culture is constantly changing. I just want them to think about the potential consequences. So uh, as they're adapting their own strategies with the changing times, they can start to think, okay, well, do we want to maintain our culture up here? Do we all want to move out? Because the life up there at high altitude, farming and herding bovines, it's not easy. It really is a tough life. And, uh, and now that the parents have seen a way out for their children, who knows, maybe they'll want to follow their children. If their children get a good job in the capital and have a nice place to live, maybe their parents will follow them there. If their children manage to get to New York, which several have by now, uh, maybe their parents will follow them there. You know, it's just, uh, I just want them to have the information I know about what's happening so they can decide how they want to deal with the situation. 
Many thanks to Jeff Childs for joining Hold That Thought. In addition to his research, Childs is involved with the nonprofit Nepal Seeds. The organization supports traditional medical practitioners, women's health programs, and a secular education system that promotes the indigenous language. You can find a link as well as many more ideas to explore on our website, holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.